Okay, friends, let's, uh, let's reconvene. I know it's hard to pull you away from the coffee bar. But as we're doing that, I just wanted to say a, a thank you to, uh, to our media team this morning who, uh, who are, we owe a, great, uh, a debt of gratitude to so that we're not like uh, experiencing worship and the message like when I started pastoring in 1990, when uh, at that time in 1990, Go way back with me. My message was handwritten. There was no images behind me. Music was uh, either on in a hymnal or we, if we got really high tech, we pulled out overhead projector. <laughs> and the media person would sit like right here. And But thankfully at about 10.15, their wisdom and their skills all came together and now we have uh, media this morning. So thank you for that guys for uh, working effortlessly from 8.30 to, to that time to allow us to experience worship and uh, our gathering as we normally do. We are in uh, the book of Mark. We are, um, we are picking out scenes in the book of Mark in the life of Jesus and discovering who Jesus is. Today we're in Mark, some emotion or some thought within you. And the statement is simply this. The Christian church is in the business of healing. The Christian church is in the business of healing. Just pause and think about that statement for a moment. Today in Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at a passage on healing. And I want us to begin by simply acknowledging that the topic of healing is a very personal space for us because it deals with our own well-being and the well-being of those we love around us. And so I want us to simply take a moment and to allow, based on our experiences, based on our, uh, perhaps our previous teaching that we've received, our understanding, I want us to simply uh, take a moment and acknowledge what's surfacing for you when you hear a statement like the church is in the business of healing. For some of you, when we hear the topic of healing and Christianity put together, it can trigger some very um, challenging emotions and thoughts. For some of you, you will go to places of power being abused. You may go to places of fraud. You may go to places of unanswered prayer, of doubt, of continued suffering, of anger, of lack of fairness, and for some, you will go to places of death. Now, for some of you, it may not trigger anything. Perhaps you haven't had to experience a life-altering illness so far. And for some of you, it will trigger 
emotions and thoughts of thankfulness, of gratitude and hope, of greater expectations of faith. Perhaps your experience has been a doctor saying you're now cancer-free, a successful surgery, a long-awaited pregnancy and birth. Perhaps your experience has even been death and resuscitation. Take a moment and internally name the thoughts and the emotions that you have when we link personal words like pain and unfairness and suffering and grief and chronic and death with words like cure and God and faith and prayer and healing. I'm not asking you to engage those thoughts and emotions right now. I'm not asking you to resolve them. I'm just asking that you would identify them. And if you want, if you can, when you're ready, you can ask God to hold those for you as we look into Mark chapter 2. In fact, I'd like to pray for us before we get into Mark 2. Father God, we admit, I admit, that very little is more personal than our own well-being or the well-being of those we love. And in our ongoing human state of sin and forgiveness, we are lost and being redeemed. We are broken and being healed by you, Jesus, all at the same time. We live in this tension and it affects our relationship with you, Jesus, with you, God, our creator. So Holy Spirit, would you tend to us as we open up the good news? As we look at the scene of a paralyzed man healed, would you lead our minds into truth, Holy Spirit? Would you hold our bodies, our emotions, our thoughts with grace? And would you offer peace to our souls that we might hear that which you have for us to hear this morning? Amen. From the beginning of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, he healed people. Between the incarnation and the resurrection, Jesus healed those whose being had been damaged or reduced by loss of sight, by failure of limbs, by disease, by chemical imbalance. He healed those who were excluded by community due to incurable sickness, the lepers, the demon-possessed, the emotionally distraught, the chronically ill. Jesus even healed the dead. For Jesus, healing even took 
precedence over Sabbath law, which said you shouldn't work and healing was work and you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. It was a radical shift in the Jewish culture. So radical that it would fall into the category of heresy. And we need to know that this wasn't just sort of mission drift on behalf of Jesus. Not, it wasn't just something that, that, that he picked up while he was on earth and, and, and he needed a course correction on. Jesus wasn't distracted by all the illness and sickness and need of healing around him. He wasn't surprised by it. It wasn't like he was making an audible. It wasn't like, like he and the Father and the Spirit in heaven said, okay, this is what I'm going to do when I get down there. And then when I got down there, when he gets down there, he's like, oh, we didn't really talk about this, and there's a lot of it going on, and so I should do something. You cannot separate the two in the life of Jesus. And that's precisely why throughout our history, the church has been in the healing business or in the taking on the ministry of healing it's because of the example of Jesus in fact it's the church dave our historian it's the church who is responsible for the first hospices and asylums in society in the first ecumenical council nicaea 325 the religious leaders called for a hospice to establish in every city that had a cathedral. So that the people who were sick, the people who were poor, and the pilgrims could find a place of rest and healing. Hospitals, as the world's first voluntary charitable institutions, offering care and good news to the sick and to the dying. What we experience now, and we take for granted, those things were established by the 6th century mostly because of the Eastern Orthodox and the Western Catholic churches. As a direct result of the ministry of Jesus on earth, and that following up by the early churches over centuries, we now get to live in a society that is the most medically advanced in human history. And its roots began in the work and the ministry and the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. Now, yes, a shift has predominantly uh, transpired in our time where the onus of, of healing the way we understand it has gone from religious institutions to the field of science and medicine. But nonetheless, our life expectancy is at an all-time high. And not just our life expectancy, our longevity, but our quality of life. We live in a time where we expect that anything is curable so long as we raise enough money. So long as we produce enough good research, so long as we think the right thoughts, pray the right way, have enough faith, we can figure it out. But over time, we as a society and a church have drifted from the foundation that was set by Jesus. And I think we're missing the mark in our expectations our understanding, our practice of healing.
You see, we really aren't in the business of healing. We are invited into the ministry of healing. We have shifted focus from the person to the condition. From wholeness to the absence of illness. From healing to cure. And yes, there's a difference. As a medical student in London, St. George's Hospital put it, people can be cured without being necessarily healed. Equally, not everyone who is healed is physically cured. Turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Jesus is back after a short stint away. He's back in Capernaum. He's likely at Peter's house. And we have this scene in front of us. Starting in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him into Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above Jesus' head, and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers, and they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. In the healing accounts of the Gospels, you'll often discover a seemingly incongruent or at least confusing pattern between obvious need and Jesus' initial response to the need. Now maybe you read through that with me and none of those things flagged for you. But there's a couple of things that flagged for me as like, why? That doesn't make sense. It happens in this story with a paralyzed man, and we're going to look a little bit more at that. It happens in, the other, in other healing stories as well throughout the Gospels. If you're familiar with the bleeding woman who in a large crowd sneaks up and just touches the hem of Jesus' garment and after 12 years of bleeding, the bleeding stops and she's healed and she's slinking away. Jesus has a, a confusing response, calling her out. 
It happens with a man named Bartimaeus who's blind and is calling Jesus. And, and finally, even though the disciples don't want him to bother, Jesus engages Bartimaeus and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, I don't know. It happens with a, another paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. What obvious, desperate need of a physical healing, and Jesus shockingly does not engage them in that need. In Mark chapter 2, we read about this group of friends. They've got one thing on their mind. We have got to get our buddy in front of Jesus. And they go to extreme lengths. I'm sure whoever owned the house, if it was Peter, was saying, thank you for tearing apart my roof. <laughs> the five of them are desperate for healing. They carry their friend up the stretcher. They're not going to be deterred. They're not going to say, hey, let's just hang out and wait. Eventually, Jesus has got to stop and, and go to the bathroom, or he's going to have to go get some food, or he's going to go sleep somewhere. Let's just corner him then. No, they're like, this is going to happen. Let's get up on the roof. Let's start taking apart the mud and the thatch of this roof. And, and, and while we're doing that, maybe one of them runs off and gets ropes. I don't, I, I don't assume they came there with that plan. And they begin to lower him between the timbers. No one inside did. Didn't it seem curious? Jesus is teaching. Well, we don't hear or read that Jesus was getting fed up with dirt falling on his head. We don't read that anybody stood up in the crowd and yelled, Hey! We're having a moment in here. Jesus doesn't get up and say, You know, I know what's going on up there. And maybe I should just make this a little easier on them. Maybe I'll go to them. And then we can come back to all of this. And they lower him right in front of Jesus. Incredible faith, incredible amount of energy to get him there. Remember, the stretcher of their day, I'm sure, was not like a modern stretcher we have today. I think it was a little less balanced. I think it took a little more effort. And then verse 5 says, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. What? It's the same thing when the blind man approaches Jesus and he says, What do you want me to do for you? What do you think he wants you to do for him, Jesus? Am I the only one who's had these thoughts running through my head when I read these encounters? What do you think he wants you to do? He wants to see. He wants to get up and walk. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. My child, your sins are forgiven. Great. But that's not what this is about, Jesus. In case you missed it, it's about a cure. It's about a miracle. A miracle. It's about a healing. It's about a guy who can't walk wanting to walk. 
Now, thankfully, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, are there. Because they, well, they don't get it. But at least they speak up. Unfortunately, they don't really care if this guy gets healed, which tells you something about them. They do take issue with Jesus forgiving his sins, though. You see, that could only be done within the confines of the temple, which, by the way, the man who's paralyzed was not allowed to go into the temple because he had an infirmity. So resolve that in your mind. I can only get forgiven for my sins in there, but I'm not allowed in there because of who I am. According to Jewish law, actually the Pharisees were right. Forgiveness of sins only happened in the temple via covenant law and sacrifice. And so they had every right to say, Jesus, who do you think you are? Blasphemy, heresy, how dare you? Centuries of covenant law turned on its head. And so Jesus engages both the paralyzed man and he engages the Pharisees who haven't even actually spoken up. They're just thinking this. And he questions them on it. And he reveals two things to us in the encounter. First, he reveals who he is and then he gives us a glimpse into what the kingdom of God is like. First, he says, you know what, guys? Why are you thinking this? Do you not believe that I'm the Son of God? Do you not believe that I have authority to forgive sins? Do you not know that I'm actually instituting and beginning a new covenant? And for the sake of those of you who don't believe, he proves it. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumps up, he grabs his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. Ah, finally he gets it. Actually, in that instance of Jesus declaring, I am the Messiah, the kingdom of God is also revealed for anyone in need of healing. And what does he reveal? He reveals that healing in the kingdom of God is very different. Very different from our human constructs of healing. Let me repeat that. In the kingdom of God, healing is very different than our human construct, our human understanding of healing. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. In those other encounters that I mentioned, in this encounter, why does Jesus start in places like that? What do you want me to do for you? Let me forgive you your sins. With the woman bleeding, touching his hem, he calls her out. Who touched me? Who touched me and snuck away with some of my healing power? Jesus, why would you, why would you call her out? Her whole life she's been ostracized and singled out. Why would you do that to her now? With all these people coming to Jesus, 
don't you think it would have been more effective if he just set up like a system, a station, a little healing station, where all you had to do was just walk by, touch the robe. You didn't, you know, like just an assembly line. Get your healing, start your new life. Like it would have been so much more efficient. Why this engaging the individual? I know from my experience, my personal experience, when my body needs healing, I want the process to be quick, I want it to be painless, and I want it to be convenient. And I'm not saying that flippantly. I genuinely want that. And so I make a phone call. Hi, can the doctor see me today? I have time right now. No, I, I don't think I can wait till Tuesday. Thank you. I'll be right over. Doc, you've had 10 minutes now. What's wrong with me? Do I need to see someone else? Do, are you going to refer me? Do I need a medication? What's that medication going to be? And what are the side effects? Do I need surgery? If I need surgery, how long? Recuperation time? Basically, what I'm saying is I want to get back to normal. How fast can you expedite this? Okay, thank you. Second phone call. Elders, doctor says it's X. Could you please come and pray for me? Be sure to bring the oil. I want oil. Make sure you are prayed up so that when you come, you pray with the right words. You use the right tone. You have the proper amount of faith to get me back to normal. My goal is that God is going to heal me and he's going to do it either miraculously or he's going to use the doctors. Either one is okay with me as long as it gets me back to normal. In Mark chapter 2, the doctors uh, couldn't take care of the paralysis. I'm sure they tried. I'm sure he went to different people. I'm sure he didn't just roll over and give up. I don't know what his background is. But whatever that the case may be, it's now on God. My child, your sins are forgiven. But I thought you were going to cure me of my depression. I thought you were going to remove the cancer in my body. thought you were going to restore my sight. I thought you were going to heal me from my concussion. I thought you were going to remove my addiction. I thought you were going to free me from autism, from Parkinson's, from the trauma of abuse. My child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, you are so missing the point. My child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, am I missing the point? Is it that there might be something more that I can't see because of the pain? that I'm in? 
Are you saying, Jesus, that there's more for me? Who are you? I want a miracle worker, Jesus. I want you to be my miracle worker. Who are you? Dr. John Swinton, practical theologian in the UK, says that there's no word in the Bible for healing the way that we understand and mean healing today. Which, when you think about it, makes sense. Our medical system, compared to what they had in biblical times, I mean, they're not even comparable. Dr. Swinton states that the closest the Bible comes to our word, our meaning for healing, is actually the word shalom. Now, much like we've reduced the word for healing in our modern time to mean cure or absence of illness, we've reduced the word shalom to a greeting to mean peace or the absence of conflict. But shalom in the Bible actually means wholeness, completeness. It's often used, yes, as a greeting, but it's used to describe a hope for the well-being of a person or a community, which could include that peace, that absence of conflict, but it would also hold so much more. An English equivalent, a modern equivalent for us in terms of a greeting might be something like, hi, Tyler, is everything all right in your life? If I'm going to ask Tyler that question or greet him in that way, I hope I'm not just going to keep walking. Shalom. It's never just about the absence of conflict. It's always about a complete sense of well-being. Good physical health, emotional well-being, healthy relationships, and most of all, the fullness of being in relationship, in be, of being connected with God. Ultimately, shalom is, intended, is the intended, the future, the eternal state that God declares will be for us. His, uh, this sense of being in community together and with him. Revelation 21. What do we read there? It will, be a, it will be a time, a place, a space where there's freedom from sin and illness and disease, conflict and all of the suffering and consequences that go along with our current human condition. And in the gospel stories like we have in Mark chapter 2 today, Jesus is breaking through with that profound future truth. The man comes seeking healing. He wants a cure. He wants to walk again. And Jesus offers shalom. He's pleading for physical healing. Jesus says, there's more. Let me lead you into something even greater. I, Jesus, I am the Messiah. I am the one who saves from all human conditions, from all human consequences of sin and suffering and illness and disease and creation abuse and conflict and war. Anything that, as a result of the human condition, is separating you from the shalom in which God wants you to live. I, Jesus, came to heal that. 
Friends, I confess, it's very hard for me to take my eyes off of my own pain and suffering when I'm experiencing it. But in God's grand narrative, healing through Jesus, the Son of God, is always focused on something greater. It's focused on an intimate whole relationship with our Creator. And sometimes that involves the removal of whatever it is that is afflicting or coming against me so that that is better facilitated, my wholeness, my relationship with God. And sometimes it does not include that. And I don't know why. I don't know when it is and when it isn't. Only God, the creator, knows that. But I am learning that in either scenario, whether there's physical healing or not in my suffering, my wholeness before God is not dependent on what happens to my physical being or my physical environment. Why? Because my physical body and environment are not yet fully changed into what God intends for eternity for me, for us. He's working in the temporal, in the now, towards something that is for eternity. And his promises will come to fruition. You see, human healing, human cure is always bound by the finite. It always has a beginning and an end when it appears. It's for a moment. God is doing something greater. Dr. Mark Greenberg, who's a renowned Canadian pediatric oncologist, I, I don't know if he has faith or not, I couldn't find that out about him. He's in Ontario. He says this. Cure is defined by a beginning and an end. Healing, no matter what the outcome, be it survival, survival with scars, or even death, is defined as a broader construct that includes a person, relationships, and community. The impact of healing will reverberate over time and even over generations. When I take that into the faith context, I realize that Jesus' healing always involves this kind of movement, a movement towards the created, towards the creator. The not yet towards eternity. The unclear towards clarity. In other words, yes, you can be cured and not healed, but Jesus' intent is always, always healing, shalom for us. Five months before he died of intestinal cancer, leaving behind his wife and three-year-old daughter, Dr. Chua Hao Chuang, who was a Regent College graduate, wrote in his blog, October 5, 2014, He said, few people are more influential than Joni Erickson Tata in their ministry to the disabled. 
Joni is herself confined to a wheelchair as a result of a diving accident that happened more than 50 years ago when she was a teenager. Despite her deep faith in God, Joni was never cured of her disability. And once at a public meeting that I was at, the leader introduced Joni with these words before she spoke. He introduced her by saying, I doubt there is anyone among us here who is healthier and more whole than Joni. The unexpected introduction caused some stir in the audience and indeed subverted our normal, oft unquestioned understanding of health and healing. No one was more whole than the one disabled. Friends, in Jesus' economy, you can be healed. You can have shalom and not be cured. At the beginning of our time together, I invited you to surface and identify thoughts and emotions within you regarding suffering and healing. And some of you asked God to hold that for you. As our worship team comes, I encourage you to revisit those pieces of you that God has been so carefully holding. I believe that God would rather you not take them back and place them back where they resided within you. I believe that his desire for you this morning is shalom, is healing, is wholeness. The invitation is to discover what the shalom of Jesus means for you personally, for your family, and for us as a church, as God's people. We're invited to tell Jesus what we need. Very candidly, very plain. And then we're invited to enter into a lifelong conversation with him that leads to our salvation and healing. And so as we sing these next few songs, I invite you to talk to Jesus. Tell him what you need. And they'll stand with you. In Jesus' ministry, salvation and your shalom come together. Engage with him. Talk to him this morning. Let's sing together.